0: I never worry about tomorrow, and I'm always just like, no, it's not happening today. And it doesn't mean I don't plan for things, and I'm not organized. And you'd have to be to put on the kind of races I do. Um, but even now with COVID and people, I constantly am hearing people like, "Are you worried about? Are the races going to come back? Is it you know what's going to happen?" I said, "I haven't even that thoughts never crossed my mind. Why would I worry about something that's not happening right now?" I I don't know, and. It'll it'll happen and it'll come together the way that it's supposed to. But I have today. I'm alive. My husband's alive. I'm healthy. Um, I can do anything today.
1: Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and Beej, and each week for the past four plus years, we've been bringing you meaningful conversations with people who are looking, finding and living their purpose. Purpose in the form of doing what you love, taking risks for your dreams, understanding that tests and challenges are opportunities for growth and expansion, especially the tough ones. Kira Henninger is our guest today, and this is a woman who has found what she loves and continues to do more of it. She is a long, like long-time ultra trail runner with an impressive resume and race results dating back to the early 2000s on Ultra Sign Up. She has run the distances, taken the wins, DNF'd, DNS'd, and after years of racing on the elite level, learned to become a more balanced athlete via a three-year recovery journey from adrenal fatigue. Kira is the creator of Kira Henninger, trail races, and the Dirt Divas and Dudes trail team. Kira directs some of the most iconic West Coast races, nine in total, all of which she built from scratch. She describes her biggest passion as cooking, but perhaps, no, definitely, our favorite thing about our new friend is the belief that the universe is ultimately good so after a few years now of hearing her name in the trail ultra world and many times receiving the suggestion to get her on the show we sit today across from kira and i cannot wait to dive in welcome to the show
0: oh thank you so much you guys for having me your love and energy is so infectious i'm super (laughs) honored to be here well, it's just, it's a match for yours, right? Like it's, you're not
1: receiving anything that's new to you. This is you, like you're seeing you and us.
0: Yes. Yes. Your beautiful faces, <laughs> your good energy. Like it's so, it's great. Yes. Truth.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Truth. All right. So we revealed to you before we hit record that um, we've been up for a while and um, we are on high doses of life force and espresso. And so we're wondering what was your morning like?
0: Oh, thanks for asking. Um, I did a long run yesterday. So this morning I did an early morning walk hike. And when I do my early morning walk hikes, so that's usually two days a week that I don't run. Um, I listen to um, just some really good positive stuff. I have some podcasts um, on my phone and just manifesting stuff. And I love a gentleman named Robert Zink. I follow him on YouTube and he's incredible. Um, So I listen to a lot of his stuff and just sort of do my prayers. Um, So my morning started as soon as it got uh, light enough to go outside. so, yeah, because I like to go on the trails. So I do wait till it's a l- little light. Um, and then I came home and I cleaned my kitchen. Big excitement.
1: <laughs> I, hey, listen, a clean kitchen and a is, made bed,
0: that's is like everything. winning the day. Yeah, yeah these days, sure. it's definitely winning the day. Um, and then I actually answered a few emails, which is, you know, a lot of my mornings consist of that. Um, and then got ready to do this podcast with you, amazing human beings. So awesome. that's about it. And I don't drink coffee, so my morning didn't start with espresso, but that's okay. So you're just like full life force. I um, love it. Yeah, and I drink th- organic decaf green tea. So I do drink tea, but um, yeah. <laughs> <I don't know.
1: laughs> now, is coffee something that, or caffeine something that you used to incorporate into your life and you stopped, or is just coffee or caffeine just not
0: something that you've had? Um, for the most part, caffeine is, so I've never been a coffee drinker and caffeine. I only use like when I'm running long or training, but I've never been ever a coffee drinker. Uh, maybe a little herba mate, but for the most part, starting the morning with caffeine was just never my routine. So yeah, it's almost like a
2: superpower. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think it is. My, my husband is a huge espresso drinker and like every morning and he's like, I can't believe you don't start your day with the coffee. I'm like, I don't know. I just wake up. Like those old, like, uh, what was it? Like I was gonna say
1: Toll House, but like Maxwell House. When the person's oh, like sleeping and they smell the, <laughs> and really it's just that's just crappy coffee. But um, <laughs> but, it's, we, but it smells good. <laughs> but they're still- like waking up in the morning, so that doesn't happen to you as he's like pumping out the espressos. No,
0: it does smell so good though. Especially he gets up and leaves for work really early during the week. He's gone by like four forty-five. Um, but on the weekends, the house when it smells like coffee, I have to give it to you guys; like it's the best smell in the world. But if I were to drink a cup of espresso, I, that would be a cure I don't think anyone would want to see. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> okay. So you're just good with the smell. It's, yeah. You know, it's so funny. Like we live so much through our senses, yes. And like when we smell something, we're like, "Oh, I have to have it." And some. There's a, a restaurant here in, in the village, in Carlsbad Village, that has, um, they, I mean, it doesn't matter what time of day it is, it's this Italian restaurant, and it's like, oh. you, all you smell is like garlic and oil, and you're like, uh-huh, like, I want that. Seven in the morning, noontime, four o'clock, whatever. And um, the other day, I smelled it, and I noticed how, like, the reaction was like, I need that right now. And I'm like, I don't need that. What if the smell was just enough? Yeah. Like, what if the smell, so I just kind of took the smell in and I'm like, it's fine, but it's getting into that gap between that kind of initial impulse of what we think we need or crave and then getting into that gap where it kind of slows down and you're like, no, I don't need that.
0: Oh, I love that. That is such an, like, an amazing thing to say because I will even <laughs> take his bag of beans and just smell them, but I would never, ever have a cup of coffee but it's just, and just like you said, the sense thing. I mean, to me, my smell is my, like, it's everything. I'm really big into smells. And so, yeah, that's kind of wild that you said that. It's so true. when you went out on the trail this morning, because I caught, um, I was
1: riding my bike along the coast, but I caught this very sp- familiar smell as I was going past this kind of coastal section where there's trails. Yeah. Of what the trail smells like in the morning. What did the yeah. trail smell like this morning? What were the feels on the trail this morning?
0: Oh, so our trails um are We're not coastal trails, so we're a little bit inland and we live in an area called Ladera Ranch. And so we're sort of at the, in the foothills of the Saddleback Mountains. So Mm -hmm. the, and the trails around us are actually filled with, um, like say wild sage and I love the smell and our, the, the smells on our trails are very, different than the coastal trails so and I we're surrounded by probably like a hundred miles of open space and trails you can kind of connect everything and I can go out my door and run in like five different directions and be on trails and it's a very it's very distinct the smells down here we have tons of oak trees and there's lots of like foliage but the coastal trails are like near you guys where would be anything coastal it's totally different um and it's a lot more Damp. And yeah. I've been running on trails for such a long time. I mean, it's just been my whole world in life. As a young woman, it developed me into 100% who I am today. And a big part of that, like for me personally, you know, for years and years is spending a couple hours outside smelling things. Um, oftentimes I'll scoop my hand up in the dirt and like rub it and smell the dirt. Like I'm so in tune with smells outside. And it's such a big part of my soul, which I'm sure would sound strange to some people, but I know you guys get it. Um, yeah, so I mean, not thing, to anybody yeah. who listens to this podcast.
1: They're like, yeah, I get that. Um, have yeah. you ever seen the documentary Earthing? I haven't. It's, it's all about like getting our skin up in touch with... Um, nature and the earth and standing, you know, um, standing in the grass and bare feet or standing in dirt and bare feet or touching the trees or whatever it is, but getting our skin, like our sensory um, input, like just infused with nature. And it talks about like the charge you know, everything is energy. We learned yeah. this from Einstein, like the charge of the earth and how it grounds us and it like will help to shift our own frequency. Um, so this idea of getting out in nature, like it's it's a real healing experience. Um yeah. and also I found it to be a a great way to kind of keep a level of humility about myself because when you're out there in nature, whether you're hiking, running, whether you're just pulled over on a scenic overlook on the highway, you can see that there's things that are so ancient and so wise and so powerful. It kind of makes you hold that that level of humility. Would you agree? Oh
0: Yes, I love that. So something that I do um, often is at the end of my long runs, I will take my shoes and socks off and I try to walk the last like half mile or so on the trail. Just to get my feet connected with the ground. And, and the, the funny thing is, is I've been doing that for like 15 years. I mean, as long as I can remember. And then sort of this grounding thing came out and took life force, like walk out. I mean, it's been around forever, but it became more known and people were talking about it. And, and I'd never heard of it before. This was years ago, but I was like, wow, I've been doing that forever. And I don't know why I was doing that. I just always, this, I loved the feeling of the warm dirt under my feet and it was, it would always just sort of calm me after a long run. So yeah, but I, I love that.
1: So you have lived in Orange County since you were 18. Where did, Mm -hmm. where were your formative years? Where, where did you grow up and did you grow up in an
0: area where you were out in nature? Yes. So I was born and raised in Temecula. And we lived kind of on the outskirts of Temecula, actually a little more, uh, Marietta area. Mm-hmm. Um, and we absolutely lived in the wilderness. Our backyard, like, backed up to, um, Tanaha Creek Falls and an area, uh, like the Santa Rosa Plateau and kind of trails out that way. Um, and that's all I ever, all we ever did was play outside. Um, I never, watch TV I don't think once really when I was growing up. Um so we just were outside for hours and hours. And so when I started running and discovering the trails, I think it just brought me back to that little girl and just playing outside like every day. Yeah. So
1: that that's so profound, you know, I a lot of people, and I've, been, I've found myself this way too at some point in my life and sometimes just on any given morning, like feeling just kind of lost, feeling just kind of lost and, and finding direction in life, uh, you know, kind of at that cr- crucial point of like 20s, 30s when you're like, uh, I got to pay my own insurance and yeah. I'm not quite sure what's happening, um, that to go back to what you loved as a child. Yeah, because that's where I think where you find freedom and it sounds like you have discovered that and um, like you grew up on the trails. But when were you introduced to ultra running?
0: Um, I was introduced to ultra running by a woman named Michelle Barton. So she's, oh, yeah. she's, yeah, been in the sport a long, long time. And I was back in like the early two thousands, I was training to run um, a marathon and I lived in Laguna Niguel and she worked at the local fleet feet running store that was like a mile from my house. And I used to go in there so much and buy shoes. And she said one time, you're in, because it, even then, like, you know, to whenever that was 2000 or 2001, it was just different. You didn't buy things online as, and so every, you know, four to five weeks, I was coming in to buy new shoes. And I said, well, I'm running like a hundred miles a week on the trails around here. And she was like, oh, you have to run an ultra marathon. And I was like, what's an ultra marathon? What are you talking about? And she was like, and so she just told me and she had been running ultras. Um, and that sort of was it for me. So I might have been like 2002 and i didn't i didn't run an ultra by any means right away but it intrigued me and i would just try to find information about it and and then um when i saw her in 2005 she told me about the San Juan Trail 50k which was like this old school race that happened in the Saddleback Mountains years ago um and that was my first 50k so as you yeah. got
2: into as you got into running the trails was there ever a Ever a draw to marathons or half marathons or ten k's or any road road running at all?
0: No. So I did a few road marathons. Um, I actually ran the first OC marathon. So what I think that was two thousand three or something like that. Four. Um, but as soon as I ran my first fifty k, I I did run um, Long Beach because I wanted to try to actually run a kind of faster marathon time. Um, and then I think I ran the San Francisco marathon because I'd heard it was always pretty, but that was, but then I never really did another marathon. Definitely no road halves. Um, I've done one road half marathon before I started running ultras, but no, I never, I just, all I ever wanted to do was run the trails and be outside. Um, it's funny. I never, ever, when I first started running ultras, I I accidentally like started winning them. It was never on purpose. And this is. Sincerely, from my heart, I never ever planned to like, um, be competitive or win them. It was just that all I ever did was run outside for hours every day and fell so in love with it. And I'm a disciplined person. It became such a big part of my life and I was always a really healthy eater, so I sort of fit that. I was like trim and fit and healthy and young and showed up to my first, you know, ultra, and I was like, wow, I, I'm actually kind of not bad at this, Um and then that was it. It just took off for me, so it was never—I I never, ever started in this sport with the purpose of, like, anything but love for the sport. I never thought once, like, I'm going to win or become anything. It was like, I'm just going to do what I love. And a race was a great way to run, to run a long, supportive run. I didn't have to carry all my stuff. And I never wore a garment or ever had a coach. Or, and I would just show up to races, and it just would work out for me. And I was like, you know, wow, maybe I, if I tried a little harder, I could, like, win or start beating the men. And then it, then it became a different thing when I started beating most of the men. And I was like, wow, this is really great. Like, you know, maybe I'll really try. Um, <laughs> was there
1: ever a point where, because now you're like, okay, well, I can, I can beat the women, like maybe I can beat the men, right? And so yeah. now you're discovering this kind of competitive part of you, which doesn't, which doesn't like zero out the love for what you have. But was there ever a time where the, the ego, like the, the competitiveness was now... St- steering towards the ego and maybe the love and the care for yourself was starting to fall in the way. Did you ever have that battle of like, oh, wait a minute, I'm losing my love because I'm becoming this fierce competitor?
0: Yes, a 100%. And I would say that probably was part of my demise. Um, and it's, <laughs> isn't it,
1: <laughs> isn't it for all of us? <laughs> yes, yes. And
0: that's so true. And it took me really coming full circle and understanding, um, that that will never be, that that is never a good way to ever lead your life. Um, but you know, you get sucked in and it became to me where, I mean, it drove everything and winning was the only thing. And, um, there were a few years there and like pretty much from 2010 to the end of 2013. Um, I'd even say like 2009, so decent for three to four years, um, where I was just like fierce and I really, in a way lost myself. Um, and so it was good that I did though, because it opened my eyes to how I was living life in so many wrong ways. Yeah.
2: That, that, because I I can really relate to the drive and dedication and commitment to what you love, but then you sort of teeter on that obsession, right? It it starts to become an obsession. And then you start to just, every day it's like you're ticking the box because this is what you need to do. And and you're not really... mm, present is kind of the word I'm trying to say but you're not really aware this stuff is happening and soon after it snowballs into you're not aware of anything you're just you're just moving through this training to get to the next race to crush the next race and then you're even like planning for the one after that um I know that was a place I was in and that sort of took took me down did you feel like a runaway train mentality sort of happening in that scenario
0: yes and i think the biggest thing that um like it was never enough. It was always about the next race. And I was never, ever like proud of any of my accomplishments. And I was no matter, like I, I specifically, and I've I've talked a lot about this with my husband um, at 2012, racing the, the Angeles Crest 100 mile. And towards the couple last few miles, my pacer got us lost uh, through Millard campground. And it was dark and, you know, it was, it was just, we were tired and, um, it, it was a moment for me, I I ended up, um, I say this humbly, but I did end up winning that year and, um, had a great, incredible performance, but I never enjoyed that win because my goal, I didn't hit my goal time. And I think I finished that year. I might've been 10th or 11th overall. So I, I mean, beating, you know, 95%, 90% of the men, and I never, ever even cared about any of that because to me, it was that I didn't hit that goal time of the time that I wanted to finish. And I was just, it was always like I was chasing something and I was a very like quiet person about it. You know, I was, I was very humbled by the sport and so humbled by the other elite women in the sport, but it was like nothing was ever good enough. And I quietly just was constantly pushing, pushing, pushing to just be better, better instead of being in that moment and being so full of gratitude of what it just, maybe I had accomplished or been through. Um Yeah. So it's it's i mean i think everybody who's who's listening
1: to this if if they just take a moment and they pause if it's not right there on the surface can under, can really relate to i mean it was the ego was robbing yeah. you of the love and joy in your life and the love and joy is who you are and the ego is the the lower self right like the and I could explain a lot about it, but let's just say that the negative ego is the lower self. It's the false self. So yeah, nothing's nothing's going to be good enough. It's never going to be enough. You're always going to be in lack. It doesn't matter if it, when you didn't make the goal or you got, you got lost and then it wasn't your fault that you got lost and then you're (laughs) a victim. And, and it's like, whoa, where's that girl that was like pumping out a hundred miles of joy, you know, and, and growing up. And, but the beautiful piece of all of it is that without that contrast, without that contrast, we don't get the growth spurts. Yeah. We don't get the forever gratitude of like, whoa, like I'll never take that for granted again or whoa, that was such an intense um, part of my life, but I'm on the other side of it now. And so, you know, you were very comfortable at 100 miles a week. I, I heard you say that on that other podcast, like it was just kind of like you had like six years, you're just like 100 miles a week, 100 miles a week, 100 mm-hmm. miles a week, like you were just in and it felt very appropriate for your body, for where you were. But eventually the ego comes in, it starts to get a little, you start to get a little more fierce, a little like, right? Like claws yeah. are out, like I'm taking everybody down. Um, and now the physical body is starting cause that's going to create more stress in the body is to kind of have that. I'm never enough attitude. That's going to create more stress in the body because we're always trying to catch up and get better. Um, but eventually you drive yourself into adrenal fatigue. So what were the, what did that feel like? What were the symptoms of like that? Like, what were the first kind of signs that you were heading in this direction of eventual, uh, coming back out of the rising out of the ashes, but you got to get to the ashes first.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, for me, well, I think for a long time, I was, um, just not sure what was going on with me. And I just didn't feel good. Um, and I, gosh, it, it would just, it really started like late 2013, um, and into 2014. And somehow I pushed through. And in January of 2015, I did the hurt 100 mile. And I, I mean, it, I, I, can't even wrap my head around not, not only did I finish, but I did okay. I survived. Like, I mean, I, I made cutoffs and I was like, I had no business doing something like that. So that's just the frame of mind. I guess I'm trying to explain. Like, I was just so hard on myself. And here I had been not feeling well at all. Some days I wouldn't even feel like I wanted to go for a run. Um, some days I would have to take like a two hour nap in the afternoon. And it was, so I was in a state of denial, not feeling well at all. Um, and then pushed myself completely over the edge. And I think that that's what a lot of people do as a society. We push and push and push. And when we're not feeling well, we don't, it's like, I just, for whatever reason, couldn't say, Hey, just take a step back and stop it all and figure out what's going on with you. Um, so that was kind of the catalyst that sent me over the edge. And then after that, I remember it wasn't too long. Um, I started getting like sick all the time and cold sores and things that I'd gotten cold sores a lot when I was young growing up and had not for most of my adult life. And then I was getting sick all the time. And like, I was getting cold sores under my nose and being sick for like weeks. And so that's sort of how I lived all of 2015 and my body just shut down. And, um, yeah. So but I mean, I look at this as like, whoa, what a, per, like, what a perfect climax, right?
1: You're, you're not feeling good. You're in denial. The body is like, how many more signs do you need that I'm trying to find balance through yeah. all these different symptoms? And then you go out and you do hurt, which is arguably <laughs> one of the toughest trail marathons or trail ultras in the world. Yeah. And there was there a part of you that was, like fighting the denial after that going,
0: but I finished. Yeah, but it it was, I felt probably just a couple weeks later, like I felt so horrible that I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done to myself? And I just think it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, if you just, if you go from a whole year leading up to that um, to, to where i just wasn't feeling good you know um and i also i was very focused on it so it became you know because i it's like i i felt like i had to make an excuse because i wasn't racing at an elite level anymore or a, a competitive level um i hate i or i dislike the word elite um i just think it puts people it's a word that makes people think they're better separate. than they aren't mm-hmm. yes yeah, Separate. and i i don't believe in that but um but at a competitive level um and It just, I guess at the end of the day, it just blows my mind that I kind of felt so bad all the time and then focused on it so much and then still went and did hurt. But what are you going to (laughs) do? Yeah. I just, it's crazy to me. And that I push, push through and finish. Like, I'm like, wow. So yeah.
2: And those experiences that that's the, I think there's a fine line there too, because As athletes, we want to go to that, that level of like fierceness where, okay, we need to test our limits. We need to see what, what's possible, right? There's that, there's that level. Um, but there's also the level of when is too much, too much. And it's that self-regulation of ourselves where we need sort of an education on ourselves. And for most of us, it needs to get really bad. It gets, it needs to get to the, the sucks enough moment where we, we get that message right in front of our faces and we're like okay now i get it and there's probably uh people around you or your loved ones or your friends and family that could probably see something happening or maybe not um but but most times it's it's in those um perspectives of those people where you know, they're not sure if they need to speak up. They're not sure what the relationship would be if, if the feedback came out and there's that uncertainty. So did you have that community around you that that maybe now you have heard that like, they were concerned or they could see something shift?
0: Yes, there were. Um, I mean, definitely my husband was like, you know, worried about me and, and just um, constantly saying like, you're just, not quite yourself and um stuff like that. Um but at the same time, you know, I was very surrounded by all of my friends were ultra runners for the most part. Um and my husband is a competitive um ultra runner. I, I mean, he's at the time through all of when I wasn't feeling well, he had four straight years of top 10 finishes at Western States. And so I was part of his crew and his crew chief and so when your partner is still at that level and pushing himself and doing extremes and sort of not living the most balanced. Um, it, it's a little harder. Um, and it was never hard on us as, as a, as a unit, but he was definitely never someone that said, you know, maybe you should stop uh, running ultras and take a step back because it's his kind of a big part of his life too. So I think now he would, cause he's, you know, a little bit different too than where he was at then. He was, you know, head first in the sport, like knee deep. And so, um, there wasn't a ton of people telling me like, you should just totally take a step back. It's not going to be the end of the world. And, you know, it was like, no, I have to keep pushing and trying and keep DNFing from races and pushing and pushing and pushing for like years. And so maybe part and, and myself also, I was in for whatever reason. Not being my biggest cheerleader and saying, hey, like maybe you should just stop. And there's more to life um, than racing ultras.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, it's because you went and pushed through hurt, because you got yourself, your physical body to a point of, you know, just this deep level fatigue, doesn't mean you screwed up. It doesn't mean you did the wrong thing. It doesn't mean that you waited too long. It doesn't mean any of those things because. I believe, we believe that everything is always organizing for us. And so I think when we hear that, we're like, oh, yeah, everything's organizing for me. So that just means all good things, all good things, everything that feels good, all good, bank account's going to be full all the time, all good things. And then when we don't get good things, we go, ah, oh, universe, the universe does not have my back at all. <laughs> and um, and that's not true. You know, the lessons of life, sometimes they come in, in uh, packages of intensity. And so... I always look at um, the indirect relationship to how low we go is, I believe, a representation of how high we're going to peak on the other side of it. And so, even if we hit this rock bottom, you know, rock bottom has always had this idea, uh, this kind of connotation, like it's bad. I think rock bottom is amazing because there's only one way to go from there, and the whole time you've been moving forward. You've been moving forward the whole time because you had to have this experience to get where you are today. And um, and I know you've um, you you have completely recovered from it. It was about three years or so and that, um, you continue to feel good, but what were some of the things that you implemented in your, in your healing? I know you worked with a more holistic, uh, doctor. And so how did you kind of get yourself back to what you
0: feel is a hundred percent? So, um, I definitely went a, a holistic way. Um, and for me, I do have to say that, um, it took me a long time to really figure out what was completely going on with me. Um, and once I did, not to, uh, normalize it, but it turned out that it really wasn't that, um, big of a deal. It was just more that I was kind of doing a lot of the wrong things for it. Um, so the 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 real game changer for me and what absolutely changed for me was coming across um a gentleman called Medical Medium. And Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. know him.
0: Um and his name's Anthony Williams. Yes. And um I I don't even well, I do know how because I just completely changed my thoughts and I changed my words. And I was like, I'm I'm going to get better. I am better. I went from what is wrong with me? Why can't I? And I just stopped. Um, the first thing that also happened to me was I came across the book, the secret and, um, by Rhonda Bryan. and I read it. And then I read it two more times in a row and a light bulb went on for me. And I was like, stop talking about that. You feel sick. Stop talking about that. You're not well, you can heal yourself. You're going to find the answers. And it wasn't more than two weeks later that I found the medical medium Book his first book, and I, can't, I just read his his most recent book, but um, and that was an absolute game changer for me. And as soon as I read, I, I opened it and started reading it and realized that all that was really going on with me was that I basically had the Epstein Barr virus, which is like a, a, a one of the many forms of streptococcus, which is all the cold sores, and it just can, you know, I'd always had cold sores as a little girl growing up and it just lies dormant in your body. And then when you go through some really, really stressful life things, which is what happens to so many people, me racing competitively for ultras, overdoing it, running myself into the ground. Um, and then there were a few other things that happened in 2013 and 14 that were pivoted pivotively stressful and a bit traumatizing. Um, and that was sort of what sent me over the edge. And then my body shut down. I got really sick and it was just the virus attacking my body. And all I needed to do was, um, heal myself. And I'd never even heard about anybody talking about this. And even, you know, it was, it was like, I, as soon as I read his book, I was like, Oh my gosh. Um, in a way, it was like, wow, this, this is it. Like I, I you know, I can't believe it. There's answers and it's so, um, and I'm 100% better. So I'm a huge, huge lover and believer in the medical medium. And if you're having any autoimmune things and then in turn, it did damage my adrenal glands, just the, the virus. I was so sick from it. Um, and the Epstein-Barr virus, just so that people know anybody that's listening to this, that's maybe finally for the first time hearing answers to it also is, it's non-genital herpes. So it's, it's just a virus. And, um, you can catch it anywhere as, as a kid or whatever. Um, it can be, you know, contracted, um, easily in so many ways. So it also can be like mono, the kissing disease. Um, and I had mono when I was young and not from kissing a boy. Um, so, and, and the mumps too. I remember one time, like my glands here swelled up when I was really young. And so it had all just been in me since I was little. And then it being so healthy, you can, kind of push it dormant, and then it became undormant. And that's kind of, yeah. So
1: That's so interesting because I've heard
0: you talk about the adrenal fatigue
1: and you have an article on your blog about it, but it was actually, that was – a symptom. It was, it was
0: totally. So this whole, something bigger. Yeah. And this whole adrenal fatigue thing and the adrenal glands, um, it's absolutely truth, but it's usually one of the different, there's like 50 different kind of Epstein-Barr strep viruses and they attack the adrenal glands. So, Mm. um, yeah, so it was wild to just be able to fully heal and find answers and, um, and the greatest gift I've ever had.
1: Um a, f- a good friend of ours was sh- in her early 40s diagnosed with Hashimoto's and um which is an autoimmune disease yes. and you know was told that she was going to be put on um medication, you know, basically for the rest of her life and you're going to be fine. But you're gonna, and she was like, no, I don't think so. And uh, she's like, I believe that the body can heal. And she's a pretty dedicated meditator and yogi. And she was like, I really believe that I can heal my body. Like she just knew that it wasn't from a, um, like I'll show you, but it was like, no, I really believe I can. And she came yeah. across medical medium with a couple of other things, some acupuncture and um, and, uh, working with her diet and things like that. And, you know, it's interesting. She went to the doctor, I think it was probably two years later and completely 100%, um, healed. And she said she was leaving the office and the doctor said, Oh, just so you know, you're, you still have Hashimoto's. And she said, but I thought, and she goes, no, cause it's not curable. So you still have it. And she's like, No, I oh no, I don't have it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't totally. have it anymore. Yeah. Um, and so and she was just like, Thank you so much. Like understanding that, you know, there is this, there's this there's Western medicine and doctors are practicing Western medicine as best they possibly can. They, I believe that just like the universe, everybody is inherently good. And we can't expect that somebody who's very focused in a Western practice is going to say that something that's not curable based on science is curable, right? But, um, but there are other ways. And I do encourage people to to feel into that inner compass of what feels aligned for them. And so when you hear that story, did you have a, a similar, like, I, I can, I believe in my body and I can, I believe that I can heal it. Or was that something that came as a part of the path of seeking the diagnosis and seeking the treatments?
0: Um. So I, genuinely believe that it was my thoughts that brought mm-hmm. finally the healing answer because the first thing that came to me was reading The Secret like five million times. And then I started just looking for any podcast that, you know, anything I could find um, my hands on that was like that whole philosophy of everything that we feel and then think and then speak becomes our life. So I literally changed that was a huge cha- game changer for me um and that was like 2017 but it took a while for me to really learn how to put it in practice but then once it became my my daily world it was like easy to me and it was it wasn't ever like I I even started changing of, of the words. It was, I am healthy. I am healed. I am, instead of, I'm going to find a way, or it was like, no, I am healthy. And then I, I, I was actually at the bookstore, Barnes and Noble, and my son, um, loves to read. So once in a while I'll go to Barnes and Noble and get him, um, he loves Dean Koontz, And so I'll get him a couple books and I I don't even know, like, I just came across his book. I was looking down like the health aisle or whatever. And it was like, had this picture of this glass of celery juice on the front. Yeah.
1: I, think, <laughs> I was going to ask you if you're drinking think, celery juice. Oh yeah.
0: And I still <laughs> am a big believer in the celery juice. I know yeah. everybody just like rolls their eyes, but I, uh, yeah. But anyways, make a, uh, Make a long story short, it was just like the universe handed it to me. And, um, and I was very disciplined too. Like, you know, nothing, nothing is going to just happen. I also believe you have to, you know, take action. And it took a, a hard work. I did a 30 day, like, raw cleanse and raw foods and, you know, that's tough. Um, no salt, like all the things. And then, um, but the main thing was a consistency with his herbs that he recommended. It was like at the t- time for like eight months, I, I took about 25 different herbs every day. Um, and I was very committed to it. And, um, but, but it was really like the end of 2017 where I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, like the fog was cleared and I just, my life came back. And it was really, I, I, I didn't realize how bad I'd been feeling for such a long time. And it, and it really only took me maybe three months where I was fully better. It was crazy. So it wasn't like this long time. Um, so that's cool. I think too.
2: How did you... I love the power of the mind and, and catching your, the words that come from your mouth, and I've heard you in this, this discussion, like, catch yourself how does how does How did that process go? Like when you begin telling yourself like you can see the, you, maybe you say the words a few times, and then you get into that space where you you pause for a second and then you change the wor- your words that you use, like, "I am healing, and, and maybe at first you stumble a few times and you're like, "Oh man, I just wish this thing would go away. Way and then you you pause yeah. and then you interrupt the process. How did you how did you do that? Was there any you know meditation or or presence practice that allowed you to kind of get in that gap before it would just spit out?
0: Yeah, um, you know something that I used to do a lot. Well, I still do, but something that I started to do was I had these. Um, I used to call them my happy thoughts. And whenever I, and, and I made a real, um, like promise to myself that whenever I was feeling bad or, you know, any sort of negative feeling or a worry or anything, I would immediately go to one of my happy thoughts. And one of them was always, um, my son when he was a baby and just holding him. And, and I would immediately feel that love that I have for him, that just un. Dying like committed parental like that love, and he would trigger that good feeling, and I would immediately like force myself to think of him hugging him and then thinking of him you know at, at at the age that he was, and just my love, and own that feeling of love and I had a couple different um like trigger thoughts like that, and I would force myself to go there any time I went negative, and it 's something like I said now that I do, but I remember during that time really practicing that and on a daily basis like 10 15 times a day um and and then another one was the um how amazing i used to feel just effortlessly flying on the trails and i had a one of my other thoughts and kind of trigger thoughts was um from a hundred mile race. And I remember this like 20 mile section, my husband pacing me and we were just flying and, and it's sort of like through the night. And, um, it was at Chimera hundred mile in 2013 and just like, I picked him up and we were just crushing it, but it was a happy thought and a me of a healthy thought. And I would own that thought and go, that is who you are. That's not gone. Um, so it took an effort and it took me to have like four or five really good like i said trigger thoughts and and then the feeling that i would get from those thoughts i would kind of make myself feel that feeling and it would immediately switch me out of you know the the bad place and i also made a commitment um i'd written it down and i i can't remember where i heard it but and it w- i would tell myself it so many times a day stop letting the past, and the future rob from this present moment. You're literally letting it rob time from you. You're worrying about something that's not even here, something that's already happened, and you're taking away from right now. And so, and I wrote it down. I had it on my bathroom mirror. I had it, you know, it was just something, and I would constantly tell myself that. And it really, today, now, the second that I start um, worrying about anything, I go right to that. And it's changed my whole life. I never, ever worry about something that's not today. But so to piggyback or to add to what you were saying, like, I really had to work on that, but now it's a habit for me. I never worry about tomorrow. Um, and I'm always just like, no, it's not happening today. And it doesn't mean I don't plan for things and I'm not organized. And you'd have to be to put on the kind of races I do. Um, but even now with COVID and people, I constantly am hearing people like, are you worried about, are the races going to come back? Is it, you know, what's going to happen? I said, I haven't even, that thought's never crossed my mind. Why would I worry about something that's not happening right now? I, I don't know. And it'll, it'll happen and it'll come together the way that it's supposed to. But I have today, I'm alive. My husband's alive. I'm healthy. Um, I can do anything today. What am I worried about? In 2021, I'm like, what? what is that even? I'm not worried about next week, let alone, you know, and I, cause I, and I just get emails all the time. And that's the first thing that people will say when they see me and like, oh my gosh, you've lost all your business. And I'm like, I haven't lost any of my business. It's on pause. Um, I, I don't lease, you know, I don't own the state parks. You know, I don't, th- that's not my place of business. I have races that I can you know, they'll, they'll come back when they come back. You know, I don't have a restaurant that I have to pay a lease on that people that I have to, I'm like, I haven't lost anything. I've gained a million things during COVID. And so for me, I never, ever worry about the future. I've
1: come to learn that worrying
0: is praying for
1: what you don't want to have happen, happen. Yes. I love that. And if you if you look at law of attraction, if you look at Newton's third law, if you look at any of these things, you know, d- whatever view you're looking at, quantum physics, spirituality, material science, um, you know, the boomerang effect, what you put out there, you're going to get back. And so the present moment, I believe, is just really that antidote because the present moment doesn't have the future and the present moment doesn't have the past and the present moment actually doesn't even have time right. attached to it. It's just this... When I think about the present moment, I think about, like, the elephants roaming in Africa. I think about, like, there's so much happening in a freaking moment. Right? <laughs> Why are we glossing over it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that you said that. That's, <laughs> yeah. And I really make an effort to think about that often. I'm like, there's a, there are so many amazing things happening right in this moment, in this world, that have nothing to do with where I'm at. And it's, Yeah. Yeah. But I think we get caught up so much in the tomorrow and I'm just constantly on the the bridge of saying, um, you know, tomorrow's only going to bring wonderful things and I'm just not going to worry about it.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's to, to people who are, you know, feeling that overwhelm, which is, which is all about the future or, you know, they're like, I don't know how to do this. It's first of all, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Anybody who's really grounded and living from the present moment, um, chances are, unless you're in a cave in the Himalayas, you weren't born that way. So you had to learn it from, I know it. maybe the three of us here, I can say we all learned it from our sucks enough moment yeah. that we realized that there had to have been something more than um, than what it was that got us to this place that we had to rise back up from. So it's okay if you're there, but you can start it immediately and in an instant and it's just it's in the breath that you're taking right now. So I know that you were a race director, um you've been a race director for a while and so you were you were having race you were a race director during this whole health experience that you had. And now that you're on the other side of it, my question to you is, how has this, um, the secret or changing your thoughts or the way that you're living, the way that you approach your running, how has that changed you or bettered you or expanded you as a race director?
0: Oh, wow. That's such a good question. Um, You know, one of the biggest things that it did for me with all of my struggles um, was I really opened up to be more compassionate for the slower. Um, and I, I don't really love the word slower, but maybe the back of the pack athletes, the people that take more time that chase cutoffs, um, because overnight I kind of became one of those people and it was, it's just opened my heart so much to them. And as a race director, um, you know, just, purposely creating races, like if there's a 100K or a 50 mile, trying to have always have like a shorter distance, like a 50K, or squeezing in a 30K so that those 30K and 50K runners have as much time as the 100K runners. Um, now with permitting and, and there's sometimes, you know, and the, with the popularity of trail running, like if you add a distance, you know, you, you're going to get tracked more people. So not all my races do, but like Leona, um, you know, I, I love that there's a hundred K, but there's also a 30 K and 50 K and they have 16 hours to finish. And there's people that hike every step of the 50 K and they finish, you know, with the 50 milers and they make me ball my eyes out. And it's like, we have this one woman, Pat DeVita in her eighties, and she's been running ultras for like, since she was, she was one of the first female ultra runners in the sport. And she finishes, you know, she's one of them that finishes the 50K with the 50 milers. And it's like, we just cry when she crosses the finish line. And so it definitely opened that compassionate eye for me that I might've had closed off. Um, and I love that. I, I like, they're my, not that I don't celebrate the, the fast people too, but like my whole perspective has changed as a race director in that regard. Yeah.
2: I was gonna say we're, uh, that I'm just thinking of opening up the perspective that we're 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 more similar than we are different. So, yeah. age, time on the on the race course, the you know the amount of t- um, effort people put in there, it's it, our, what what our garments say, what our heart rate says, like all this stuff is is is. is out there and it's it's sort of you can look at it as differentiating but in in the end we're all the same we're all this we're all trying to be better right the 85 year old is just trying to be better she's just trying to get to the finish line the the person who crushes the 100k and whatever time running like they're just trying to get better um and what it seems you bring in your races is this community of let's just let's just all do it because we love to run and we all just want to be better and, and the stats and results will just take care of themselves. They're just, it's just one point in time too. It's just one data point. Um, do you feel, do you feel that when you put on your races, do you feel the Mm -hmm. community of just gratitude for being out there?
0: Yes, definitely. Um, you know, it's, it, the cool thing about ultra running is it, it, to me, in my humble opinion, it's the one sport because we rely so heavily on volunteers for the aid station. So if you have a 50 mile, 100K, a hundred K, a 30 K, you know, you have all these aid stations and, um, and you have crews there and the aid station volunteers are also ultra runners. So you have this like six degrees of, uh, separation of a, of a, like a circle of a community, Um, and then also most hundred mile races and a lot of hundred K races require in order to register, you have to do six hours of volunteer time. So you kind of just have this circle. And so you also have a race where you could have super elite runners at an aid station, filling a water bottle, helping people. Um, and it's, it's, it's a very, um, even in the, as much as it has grown, it's still a very small and tight community. Um, and people, it, it's a very loving community for the most part. And I've always said that if you're n- not, um, and this might sound a little bit negative, but my husband and I have always said this cause he's been in the sport a long time too. If you're not necessarily the best person, the sport will kick you out, um, or, or kind of weed you out. Um, in, in, um, yeah, it, it ultra runners and t- trail runners, especially ultra runners tend to be just really kind down to earth people. And you go to an ultra race and it's just, even in the larger races, it's still like a grassroots feel and people just, you you see, everyone knows each other at the start line. And it's a really, um, it's a community thing. And then also it takes so much work to keep the trails cleared and, and people do trail work. And, uh, my race is, um, my races, um, I, I I make donations to the Santa Monica Mountains Trails Council. I'm a huge advocate for them and everything that they do for the Santa Monica Mountains and keeping the trails cleared and putting together trail work days. So you just have this community and and a sport that can't survive without volunteers. And when you give back, it's just a good energy that comes back to you. So a lot there's a lot of that um, energy in the sport. And so when you go to the races, it's absolutely the energy you feel it's like this really cool community yeah
2: Mm. i love that and and also not feeding like the energy you put out you get back so that so not feeding the questions that the participants have about the you know how are you able to put on these races and aren't you worried about the future like not feeding that because that's not what you want that's not what you want back
0: right yeah yeah and i think you know i'm i i i'm thankful every day. I've written it in my gratitude journal almost every day since COVID started. I was at the end of my race directing season. And so normally, um, mid April to like October, I don't have any races that I put on. It's my off season. So Leona divide, which is, you know, a large race of mine was canceled and postponed. Um, but then, I didn't have any race, any more races that I had to cancel. And I had the choice to not open registration for all of my fall races. And I made the choice not to, um, something in my gut and everything, everything in my gut told me this isn't going anywhere. And I talked to a lot of other race directors that were races in the fall. They're like and an early, you know, Late summer, early fall, they're like, Oh, I'm still going to, you know, have registration open and all the things. And, and I opted not to. I have four of my largest races that take place pretty much like November through December. Um, and I, I never opened registration for them. Um, and it was a blessing because then I wasn't trying to figure out what to do with all those race entries and refunds and the stress of what could have really, um, been a tough thing, but also I, I humbly have said to myself, gosh, like if this would have happened to me, if COVID would have hit in October, every single one of my races would have been sold out in full. And I would have had to cancel at the, if it was the same timeframe that it was now, but it just hit in October of 2020. And I, I, I have no idea how, I mean, my heart goes out to so many friends of mine that are race organizers and event producers, and they've had, you know, dozens of events that they had to cancel and were sold out. And so for me, um, it, this, that gratitude, I, I, I can't even put into words. I'm like, man, it was just timing and luck, I guess, you know, I don't know. But Well, um, you had mentioned in your email to
1: me that you are a big believer that the universe is good and that you believe strongly in manifesting your life. So my question to you is, we know you, we can manifest on purpose, right? You've, you manifested new thoughts. You manifested new feelings about things. You manifested new perspectives. Do you believe that we're, we also manifest things maybe subconsciously um, without awareness from a higher place that is driving us towards our highest good. For example, um, we could look at, you know, your health journey. We could also look at COVID at large, that perhaps we all manifested this to slow down, to, you know, uh, make gratitude acute. Some runners, it was the break they needed. So I guess my question is, we know we can do it on purpose. Do you also believe that everything is... Unrolling for you, um, even the challenges and the things that don't feel so good. Yes,
0: yes. I. And absolutely- how do we
1: make sense? How do we make
0: sense of that? How do you make sense of that? <laughs> oh. Wow, that's a that's a big ask of me to try to answer that. You guys are like so intellectual and amazing. I'm like, oh. um, <laughs> think good thoughts, speak good thoughts. No, I'm joking. Um,
1: <laughs> that's how um, we're doing too. I mean, there's, I just I just want to get your take on it because I'm looking at somebody who was like, hi, high, high competitive runner, fell low, came back up. Like, do you believe that this was all kind of your higher plan? Yes, and that you were a participant in all of it. Is really what I'm saying.
0: Yes. Yes. And that's a very sensitive subject, not for me, but for other people to hear because I'm going to say that I 100% attracted everything that happened to me in my life. And prior to not feeling well and all the things, it was, I was constantly you know, racing competitively and it was never good enough. And it was, I only wanted more and I only wanted what I didn't have. And I mean, the list just went on and on and on. And I was building my bit, my entire business at the time. And so I had a lot of money stress. And I mean, I could just go on and on and on. But now as the person and the woman that I am today, I look back and go, well, of course, all of that happened. The universe was handing you Everything that you were worried about, everything that you were complaining about, everything that you constantly thought about that was wrong. And I was a pretty positive person, but I was very focused on everything that I didn't have and what was wrong and what I wanted. And that, I mean, it just goes on and on. And yeah. That, I think yeah. that that's brilliant. That is absolutely yeah. brilliant.
1: Um, because you recognize now that you were focusing a lot on what you didn't want. Yeah. And then you got pretty much what you didn't want. (laughs) And then you focus on what you want and you pretty much get what you want. And I feel like when there's times where we're not getting what we want, we're able to roll with it a little bit better. We're like, okay, this is serving a purpose. Because when you start to see the evidence of, geez, if I change my thoughts, if I'm feeling judgmental and I go in, like you were saying force, and really you were using your discipline that you have baked into you as an athlete, it takes that to change our thoughts. It takes that discipline oh. to change our actions. And so you would use that discipline to feel love in moments that you weren't feeling love, where you were feeling lack. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's just so brilliant. But you, So you started to get evidence. And do you feel that once you start to get evidence of it, like, oh, hey, wait a minute, this whole law of attraction thing, whatever you want to call it, like, it works when you do it. Like, oh my gosh, it works. Once you get the evidence of it, when things start to go awry, do you feel like you've been able to flow better with it? Because you know that ultimately things are going to resolve to good for you.
0: Yes. And so that's been a big game changer for me too. Like it's, it's, I, I have this, I know that I know that I know that everything will always work out. Everything is always working in the absolute best interest of my life. And it's like, I I know that I know that I know. I know it's on its way. I know it's... man. And having that mentality, it's you know, a a good example, like maybe two months into COVID, I would, I talked to someone and it was a a gal that has done a ton of my races and et cetera, et cetera. And, um, she'd been on my team before and she sent me this email. I didn't talk to her, but she was just checking in with me. And she said, I can't even imagine, um, how you must be feeling like everything that you've built from the ground up, you've lost. And like uh, this whole email and I read it and thought, huh, I never even thought about any of that. All I've thought about is how I can pivot. And I even wrote the words, pivot, Kira, pivot, in lipstick on my mirror, right when COVID hit. And it became my motto. Like, Don't think about everything that's going wrong or going to happen. Figure out how you can pivot during this and get through it until things do return. And it was like pivot. And when I read her email, I thought, I never once ever thought any of those thoughts. I only thought about Wow. I remember like making an effort to, to really say to myself, for the first time in 10 years, I don't have to put on like five massively four to 500 person races in the next four months. Like I get to, for the first time in a long time, enjoy myself. And, you know, run again more and kind of have no stress. And I started just writing down all the wonderful things. And yeah, we've had to tighten our budget. I'm very lucky. My husband has a good job. Um, but going into this too, uh, we had savings. We lived very frugally. Um, we didn't have any debt. Um, I don't have small kids, so I don't want to take away f- for anything from what other people, I know people are really struggling. Um, and that was other things that I made sure to always make note of, right? In my gratitude journal. Um, I just focused on what was good and I refused to ever think about anything else. I maybe had like two days where I cried and was kind of like, Oh crap. Like this is real. This is happening. And then I would just say pivot, pivot like the boss lady you are. And that's kind of became my motto. And I took my, trail team virtual and did cooking class some classes with them online. And this last season, I had more people than I've ever had on my trail team. And we did weekly zoom calls and, um, I just took it to a whole different place. We, I did a whole nutrition series that was like five Sundays in a row and, um, really tried to start to like introduce them to talks about like what our thoughts become our, and all these things that I would have never done with my team before when I had like 45 people People, and we just met every weekend for a team practice run. And so that, that just all became, um, the only thoughts that I ever had and the only words that I ever spoke. And, um, yeah. And, and, and I, like I said, I spent a couple minutes, like we, we had to tighten our budget and I'd, I'd love to go to the nail salon. I painted, it, been painting it myself, like whatever, you know, like I know that sounds silly, but I, I really used to love to get a pedicure and manicure and I'm like, nope, not going to spend that 70 bucks. But otherwise, like we have groceries and our bills are paid and we're going to make it. And that's it. I just, I'm like, whatever, it's going to be okay. I know that I know that I know. That's beautiful. And I think what you're, what you're living right now is that, you know,
1: through this conscious change of thoughts and words and actions and, and pivoting your feelings, you've changed your brain. Like you've, you've yes. changed yes. the mapping of your brain, which is amazing. So if people want more of these spectacular messages and more of your amazing brain and all your sharings, how do people follow you and, and, um, get more of you?
0: Um, so I'm really easy to find on Instagram, just Kira Henniger. Um, so super easy. Um, and then my website to all my races is khraces.com. Um, and I don't go on Twitter too much, but I'm Kira Henniger on Twitter. And um on Facebook, I'm Kira Hennigreit. I don't go on Facebook really at all though. Um, that's something that's that I- That's ex- part of the brain changing thing that happens. Yes, <laughs> yes. so I exited Facebook, I, I logged out like back and I don't even remember how many months ago and I have a gal that I have all my, each one of my races has a Facebook like page and um, she kind of does that stuff for me now and that's it. So yeah, pretty easy to find. Cool.
1: Yeah. Well, but yeah well I highly recommend that um, they follow you at least on Instagram because um, I love your posts I love your I love your mindset um, I love you and I'm so glad that we had an opportunity to come together like this and have a conversation it's it's really
0: been an honor thank you oh thanks so much you guys I'm so honored you asked me to be on